Okay, so welcome to the Career Conversations podcast brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group. And today we're going to be talking with Jane Biancini. Uh, Jane is the CEO of Alchemy uh, Interactive. Um, it's a platform that our, our business uses. It's a video interviewing tool that we've really embraced over the last couple of years. And when I saw her platform um, about six months or so back, we, we actually transitioned from another platform because we thought it was just a, a better fit for us. Um, I love the innovations coming into our industry and people like Jane that are bringing it into the industry. So I thought, why not get one of these innovators onto the podcast? So welcome to our podcast, Jane. Thank you very much, Craig. Great to be with you. Yeah. And so I thought today we talk about people's careers and, and how they've gotten to where they are. And I really wanted to start with now. So tell me about Alchemy. How did it start? What was the nexus? Give us, give us a real feel for what you do. Uh, well, just to kind of set the scene. So Alchemy Interactive is a, um, a digital a video platform that recruiters love, essentially. That's kind of our catch cry where we're morphing um, uh, the genesis being in video interviewing and morphing into virtual assessment centres, um, written assessments, and then into live two-way. And that's been a, a real pivot as a result of the um, economic challenges that we find ourselves in in um, March, April, May of 2020. Just to timestamp that through. But uh, look, I think the, the, the twinkle in my eye came when I, uh, I used to work for an organisation called Candle, which was a very large... IT um, listed recruitment agency on the ASX. And I also sat on the board of uh, the industry association at the time called ICRA. And um, uh, before one particular board meeting, I had uh, um, gone to sit with one of uh, Australia's largest um, uh, brands. And we were, you know, we were number one supplier to a number of very large organizations at the time. And, uh, I turned up to this meeting and said, you know, we're really proud to be, you know, your number one supplier. They had complimented me and the organisation on how well we had done and our KPIs. We were green on every single level. Of course, they said, well, uh, we have to talk about price. Of course, I'm like, yes, we have to talk about price. <laughs> every so, customer. Uh, yeah, every customer, right? So they said, uh, right, well, we um, would like to decrease your price. We'd like to... Um, uh, change some of the our terms and conditions and of course I went well no they said well um, here's the thing Jane uh, if you don't sign the document our number two supplier would be delighted to be number one so with that uh, particularly in my career I learned that he or she who has the most amount of power has the least amount of care so I ended up having to sign the document and it was on my way um, to that board meeting that I was thinking this is just not sustainable like We've got um, our, our fees are going down. We're competing um, with our, our clients as the internal talent acquisition function started to emerge, uh, you know, quite a few years ago. And um, and my costs are going up. So this kind of, this, this you know, this equilibrium was, was fast getting out of whack. So I went to that board meeting and, and said to my colleagues, look, I think I'm going to have to ask people to stop actually face-to-face -face interviewing uh, uh, candidates because we've just got to get more throughput to keep our revenues at the at the levels that they are and growing and we can't afford the time uh, or the cost of of doing a full service which they all agreed and so it was around that time that I started to realize that recruitment was broken and that something needed to change in the the undercurrent of the recruitment process to make both agencies and um, internal recruiters more efficient 
and more effective with the screening process of the recruitment um, value chain, uh, which was the last bit of the, the recruitment process I saw at the time to be innovated. So uh, I left that uh, organisation and um, started my own uh, company some uh, couple of years later and uh, Alchemy Interactive was born. That's a, a pretty brave move to see, see, see a need and go, I'm going to fill that need. Was there anyone else doing it at the time or were you looking at oh, it going, I can prove what they're doing? So here I was thinking I had the unicorn idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and the early, early, early days of this was um, a, a tripod with a camera um, filming the, um, the candidate and then uh, I would um, get some new students to edit that film. But I, I missed a trick, you see, right back in the early days because I realised that to get the candidate's video to the client, I couldn't email it because back then you could only send maximum one or two megs. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and so um, that went a little bit too early in the in the early incarnations of Alchemy Interactive. But uh, do you know? Do you know um, we, we we were the same. We actually, right? yeah. So I, I'm going to say about six to eight years ago, I used to get candidates into the into the app. So we've already pre-interviewed them. We think this person's a great candidate for company X. Yeah. Instead of just sending their resume, we would get them into our office, set up a camera, get them, interview them, ask them some questions. So that the and then we would create a YouTube channel with a password. And so yeah. we would send that password to the customer to say, here, have a look at Fred. What do you think of Fred? Um, so it was really clunky. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. And and so as I started to reflect on on exactly that, that the unstructured uh, YouTube video was didn't provide a great evaluator experience because it wasn't fair, consistent, and just full of biases. Hmm. So that's how I started out to create a structured process by which candidates felt respected because they could see that it was coming from the organisation's brand. They could see... Um, if the organisation had chosen to pre-record the hiring manager asking the question to build up some trust in that process rather than just being a text-based question, uh, but also knowing that they had the same amount of time um, being asked the same questions in the same intonation of voice, the same syntax, being given the same amount of time to answer the question as well as all other candidates, that they knew at least they were giving a fair hear given a fair hearing. So, Yeah, well, that, that's that's one of the reasons why we like the platform too, that it's um, you just spent the first bit talking about the client and their needs of decreasing costs, et cetera. But the candidate is something that a lot of uh, recruiters, industry, and so they don't really focus as much on the candidate. Um, this process, it is scary for candidates, I think, particularly some of the older generation that don't like to change into new technology. But the process that you've you've created makes it a little bit more seamless and there's a bit more trust there from the candidate side of things. So why was that a focus of yours? Uh, well, I think in my recruitment days, I was a bit of a one-click recruitment girl. Right? I was I was happier out speaking with candidates and clients than actually having to do admin. And so, um, yep. uh, not I, I think I was probably more on the intuitive side of the recruitment spectrum than on the process-driven side. So yeah. I was more the art um, and science rather than the process and, and procedure. And so I think I'm the same. Yeah, and so uh, the. Um, for me, it was really important to have seamless and frictionless technology because, I, look, I know that, you know, any kind of speed bump that you put in front of a, a top-tier candidate is just going to send them in a different direction or straight into the arms of your competitor. So uh, I 
um, really like the way my tech director describes it in that he believes technology should be invisible. And for me, that really encapsulates our, our purpose from a tech driven point of view. As long as it's frictionless and invisible and seamless, uh, then we think we're, we're doing some level of service to both our clients and our candidates. Yeah, no, I agree. And do you, do you think that this this process, you talked about how you want to disrupt recruitment. Do you think that this, like, I actually believe that the recruitment process itself is broken, that it's not, not, not on a regular basis, but, but fairly regular basis, the wrong candidate gets selected because they're actually good at the process as opposed yeah. to being what the job needs are. I think the video interviewing process or what we've seen through our use over the last 12 months or so is that that the candidate gets a better selling opportunity to sell their, their features regarding that role, as opposed to just this flat resume process that we're used to. Um, is, is that another reason why you decided to go down this path? Yeah, I think so. I think um, it was, it was really to bring, uh, look, you know, in my, it's really to bring the CV to life. And, but as yeah. we know uh, in recruitment, Anyone like the closest thing to perfection is a CV. And we also know from uh, some friends in uh, the background checking industry that when candidates are given the opportunity to come clean on their resume for having to go through a background screening process, 33% of people still lie. And the top four things that people lie about, uh, number one, the dates, um, Number two, the um, academic um, certifications or qualifications, that little word incomplete gets left off at the end. Uh, job title, so project coordinator versus project manager, uh, and, um, uh, and salary. So, so by being able to present yourself in an authentic way where you can't hide behind um, a screen and a piece of paper, you really got that opportunity to deliver um, your your whole self to an organisation as a first touch point for being assessed. And tell me about the kinds of organisations that you're partnering with, because I'm guessing most people listening to this uh, understanding yes, it's a it's a video interview process. But what what some listeners may not understand is it's one way. So it's actually if I'm a candidate for the role, I get an email with the questions that have been selected by the recruiter or the internal resource. Um, they're video in, um, questions that you guys have created, or you can um, create them. And so the, the candidate would then video themselves answering those questions. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So before uh, uh, COVID, we were um, the sweet spot was really um, graduates, customer service, customer success. And at the beginning of the year, we started to see, it was almost like the beginning of 2020, started to see the arrival of um, video interviewing in mainstream. Mm -hmm. And so we saw um, different roles coming onto the platform that every day that were different, anything from a, a, um, a fingerprint um, specialist technician, a dog handling um, trainer for a law enforcement organisation, a... Um, truck drivers, warehouse managers, um, uh, IT um, specialists. Yeah, we've used it for picker and packers in a warehouse. They, they, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we, um, uh, this week recently, um, we saw a job come on for um, a, a very large federal government department for uh, an assistant director role. Uh, we get EAs, uh, again, from government. We get um, uh, customer success from retail. We get crew members from retail, we get um, uh, uh, graduate lawyers. Uh, yeah, it's, we're right across the market. 
So this is really from a candidate perspective, they've got to really start to think about how they will um, how they will work through the process of recruitment now. It's very different, isn't it? It is very different. And looking at some of the new tech that's coming onto the market at the top of the funnel, uh, where AI is is best used, um, having, um, you know, it's a bit of a, a minefield for candidates to navigate how they're actually going to be assessed, what criteria is going to be used, um, if their initial application is going to be screened by AI, if their um, personality assessment or um, any psychometric assessments are going to be um, sifted through to be matched to job performance. Um, that's a minefield and um, all the way down to the bottom of the funnel where you've got video interviewing. It is it is an efficient process, but at least you've got that opportunity to still have some level of human contact through that um, through that process. Yeah, that's it. And look, one of the selling features for me for candidates is I've, I've sort of said to a number of our people that we're dealing with that this is replacing phone screening is the way that I look at it. Um, and I always joke, I say, so when I, when I, as a recruiter, I'm very busy. And if I ring you at 3.30 and you're at the gym, well, you need to be on. Or if you're picking up the kids from school, yeah. it's your chance to shine. With this process, they can do it in their own time. There's usually a time frame. It might be 24, 48 hours, three days, whatever that process is. Yeah. And they can go, okay, I want to get my background nice and clean. I want to get the kids in another room so they're quiet. I don't want the dogs around, whatever that might be, so that I can really focus and be the most professional and portray the best person I can be. So that's a, a positive, I think, for candidates. Yeah, I think so. And and for evaluators too. I think, mm. uh, um, you know, in, in my day, you know, I would see recruiters going, you know, depending on if they were happy or hungover would determine who got to the front door. <laughs> if, if one candidate flirted a little bit more with a, a recruiter and another one was a little bit more serious, you know, it would, you know, the type type one and type two errors were, were ever present in, um, in a traditional recruitment process. Yep. Uh, and so from a recruiter point of view or a, or a hiring manager point of view, to be able to be in the zone and not be disturbed also to know that they can watch and listen uh, to each candidate's question and rate accordingly. But then if, you know, their mind wanders as, as, as us as humans, it happens all the time, or if we get interrupted, we can just rewind and go back and listen to that candidate's answer to give a much more uh, um, uh, fair review in an unbiased fashion. So it's, um, and we've got some other kind of, cool little features in the platform to further minimize some biases as well so we can hide the candidates video to minimize any uh, uh any appearance or age biases we can turn off the name to mask any um uh, apparent ethnic biases that might occur because of the spelling of someone's name um, we're in beta with voice disguise to see if we can disguise gender but, um, but then you know uh, what is also uh, fast becoming a trend is collaborative recruitment for diversity and inclusion hiring. So if it was your uh, stereotypical, say, um, uh, mid-20s, early-30s uh, recruitment coordinator doing all of the um, all of the reviews, then that's just one lens that the company is um, looking at future talent through. Whereas if you have diversity of people, um, say, two or three different um, pairs of eyes with different backgrounds looking at candidates, uh, in our platform, you're able to not see other people's assessments until the end. And so minimising a bit of groupthink as well really um, improves the diversity of hire that we see time and time and time again in our clients as they give us feedback. Yeah, and so for us, that's what we like about it too. We, we actually 
become more of a partner with our customer that we're collaborating with them saying, okay, here's the four candidates or five candidates, whatever that number is. Yeah. And um, they go through an assessment process just like we have as the recruiters. And then we can talk about our you know, criteria that we've set and why I gave it a five and they've given it a four or whatever that might be. Um, yeah. It makes it a lot more um, of a partnership, I think. Yeah, and I think also, um, you know, what you said earlier about the um, the efficiency of the process for phone screening. Mm. Some organisations are now using it actually to replace the face to face, yep. or uh, using it to not do a twenty minute phone screen, but to do a one to two minute call with, uh, say, twenty or thirty candidates to say, look, hi, double checking you're still available, you're still interested, um, your availability. Um, reassess salary great here's our process so i'll soon be sending you an invitation to participate in a one-way digital video interview um, that, that we've set up and after that we'll send that link to the hiring manager so that you can be assessed um, faster and more efficiently to, to progress you through to the next stage of the process mm -hmm. and so that then really plays beautifully into the hiring manager world where um, as as We've all been there where we walk into a room, we go in the first five minutes or less, I just know this person isn't going to fit in the team with what I know of the the, the CV and the um, the background of the team and the makeup of the team. So I'm looking for something different. At least the hiring manager has um, saved both themselves and the candidates hour <laughs> to um, assess for fit rather than um, yeah, um, to, to sit through that. But, you know, and, and it's a, a fair reflection as well on, um, the candidate side too, they might walk into a room and see that hiring manager and go, look, you remind me too much of someone in my past. Like, There's just no way I'm going to be able to get on with you. I just <laughs> don't get on with that personality type. So, but I have to sit here and answer their questions. Yep. Works both ways. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to talk about before we move back through your career path, uh, it must be so, oh, I'm a bit jealous. It must be fun. So you're at this um, phase of uh, disrupting recruitment, uh, creating new platforms, um, innovating within the platform. Just tell me, about, is, it, is, it, is it exciting? And what's next? Oh, Craig, it, um, look, the, it's champagne and razor blades. Yeah, okay. So it's, um, it's a bit impression management, right? It's, it's startup. It's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're coming into scale up now, yep. uh, but you know, the reason I decided to, to start this business, I mean, I had a recruitment business before I, I started this and I, someone said to me, Jane, you've got a shoe and two canoes. You can't, you've got to pick one and, yep. and do one really well. And, you know, after a good 20 odd years in recruitment, I thought, well, my, my kids had grown up and were about to hit uni. Um, uh, it was, it was just, it was me in terms of who I had to support. I didn't have a, a wider family that I needed to support. Um, I thought, well, the, I'd, I'd made a good, good bit of progress on my mortgage. So I thought, well, if ever there's a, a chance to do something different, it's going to be now. So I thought I'd just roll the dice and take the risk. And it was something I kind of, I, I sat, I sat down one day and thought to myself, okay, you know, when I'm, you know, in my, um, you know, approaching retirement age, whatever that might be, what do I actually want my career to look like? And I didn't want it just to be agency recruitment. I wanted to do something that was different, that was meaningful, that added value, that, um, that allowed me to have a different 
um, type of conversation with different people in different parts of the market. So I'd spent my entire career talking to uh, IT uh, specialists of all levels, working with CIOs and um, IT managers right the way across the market. So I had a good level of IT knowledge and a good level of uh, recruitment knowledge. And so the next uh, iteration for me was to kind of um, transition from professional services into product. And uh, whilst I used to joke to say the product doesn't change its mind or turn down a job offer, um, it still does have, you know, some quirks in its behavior. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love it though. That's, 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 that's yeah. brilliant. And that's, you know, you, you just talk, you're talking my language there. It was 14 years ago that I started this business. And the reason yeah. I did it was because I didn't want to look back with regret. I wanted to go, I want to control my own destiny. I want to do it how I want to do it. And so I was in a different stage. I was, you know, probably the worst time to start a business, just building a new home. Our wife was pregnant with our second baby. Um, it was not a good time to start a business, but it was opportunity had come. And yeah. I think I don't want to look back in 15, 10 years, whatever it is and go, what if? Yeah. So yeah. I love your attitude in terms of, yeah, yeah, no let's, regret. Let's have a crack. yeah. yeah honestly, let's have a crack. I used to say that all the time, but it, uh, it certainly has been a wild ride. I mean, the, the early days of me starting this business where um, I had uh, my recruitment business was funding the, the early stage development of um, yep. Alcon Interactive. And I thought I was pretty good at finding uh, IT professionals, but I wasn't very good at managing ah, them. There you go. So I, uh, I, and so one of my mentors at the time had said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you out on this, Jane, and, and your BS and, and hold you accountable. You are really terrible, terrible manager. And not only are you a terrible manager, which I got, I acknowledge. How did, how did you go with Yeah, did you acknowledge it? You didn't fight back? Uh, like, I know I'm a terrible manager, but I was yep. even worse manager of technology folks. So, okay. yep. so um, I ended up having to let go of, of the entire team. And that was a very brave decision because I didn't know what was, you know, under the hood. I didn't have the keys to some, a mansion that, that someone was building me. I didn't even know how to communicate uh, on um, technology architecture or infrastructure or um, design principles. And so, mind you, I still don't, but uh, but I'm getting better. But how have uh, you gotten around that? Oh, it is literally blood, sweat and tears. So I, I outsourced the development of the platform from there into a local uh, Sydney-based technology firm. Obviously, I retained all of my IP, again, through a very good mentorship all the way through my career. Uh, and um, made sure that the agreements were watertight, that they would continue to develop the platform and I would retain the IP. Mind you, that was a very expensive exercise, but it was one that I put down to um, a very um, cost-effective training program for me in how to manage um, and build a technology product. And so, so once I kind of got the, the hang of that, I insourced it back and went for a, um, a capital raise and... Uh, off the back of that, hired a genuinely a rock star tech team because I knew exactly what I was looking for. I knew the makeup of the team. I knew the, uh, the, the personality traits of the people I was wanting to hire. Um, uh, and, and on the top of all of that was an ability for tech people to communicate really well with non-tech tech founders. Which so isn't the norm. That's not the norm. No, so uh, so I was very fortunate. So my my IT recruitment skills did actually play out beautifully, and um, I, I really 
you know, many days I, I reflect and I'm very grateful and show great amount of gratitude that I've got a very, very, very talented uh, and solid team of technology. So you, you talked about those, that mentor. Were you, were you part of like a, an accelerator or a program to help you get this off the ground? No, I wasn't. I w- um, I'm a member of something called the Entrepreneurs' Organisation or EO. And um, to be a part of that organisation, you have to have a certain amount of uh, revenue, be um, majority owner of the company um, and a few other little um, kind of um, criteria to be a part of that. Part of um, the Entrepreneurs' Organisation, which is a worldwide organisation, they, they foster and, um, and nurture um, organizations that are just a little bit past startup. Yep. So fortunately I was in with my recruitment business and now I obviously qualify with my um, technology business. And through that, um, you get access to people who are um, the grown-ups of, the, uh, of the, the business world who want to give back. So I was the mentorship chair for the Entrepreneurs' Organization for um, about three years. And as a result of that, got to know the mentors and the program and what a structured mentorship um, program looks like. And so um, through that process, I've had three different mentors. And uh, in fact, my last mentor, um, I was blessed that he, because how it works is the the mentors get given a a selection of people who have applied as mentees. And um, there's always more mentees than there are mentors. So quite often, you know, mentees miss out until you get around to the next cycle. I was very fortunate enough for my um, uh, my mentor uh, to pick me up, and um, his name is uh, Tim Samway, and currently the, the chairman of Hyperion Asset Management. and uh, And over a, a succession of three or four different um, structured mentor sessions, um, that's when he said, "Look, you actually, we need to raise you some money." So, so on the back of all of that, as he started to look into the product, the technology, our clients, <coughs> um, my connection to the problem. Um, my, um, I guess, passionate commitment to there is no plan B. This is I'm going ahead with this. Come hell or high water. He then um, uh, became my chairman, in which we had to end the mentor relationship because they're, they're the rules, uh, and became my my major investor. So, um, yeah. So, but I've had mentors. I'm not shy of asking for help, uh, and. Um, and knowing that I can learn so much more by other people's mistakes and watching and studying the path that led them to a particular juncture or mistake or, or learning in their life and um, making sure that I'm not making the same along the way. So, well, That's an excellent journey that you've told us just about alchemy and how that started. It's fantastic. So let's yeah. go back to the start. So where did, where did you grow up, Jane? Where are you from? I, I grew up in uh, the North Shore of... Um, Sydney in, yep. in Neutral Bay, and uh, I was the poorest kid in the richest school at um, Redlands in Cremorne. And uh, my my dad was a uh, a meat and fisheries inspector with the state government, and uh, my mum was a housewife, and uh, also supported my school fees by stacking shelves in Franklin's, which I'll be eternally grateful for. And, and mind you, I keep getting reminded of. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, so I, I was um, very, very fortunately private school educated from the age of four to uh, 18. And then I, um, I went to start my degree in law uh, and found that it was just boring the hell out of me. 
far so too why, did you, why did you choose law? Uh, I think it was just, I, I got some good marks and, and just, it was just what everyone just told me to do really. Yeah, okay. I didn't want to be a doctor. I can't stand the sight of blood. Um, didn't want to be a physio and went, oh, well, and I think that the Scorpio side of me had a bit of curiosity and maybe I was going to head into criminal law or something like that. But um, yeah, there was far too much um, uh, else going on. And uh, I, I, I swapped from law and uh, did psychology, in fact, uh, which, uh, which I just found such an affinity and passion with uh, in terms of looking into things such as the physiology of the brain or, or a different personality um, disorders, um, you know, the, the whole spectrum of... Um, so how did, that, how did that happen? Was it um, just uh, your... I, to, be, to be honest with you, subjects? I can't... Yeah, I think, I, know, I, I think it was um, a vague memory of me going and having a chat with a career counsellor at the university going, I just, I'm not digging this. I can't quite, you know, feudal law doesn't set my world on fire. <laughs> Um, and just through a process of um, questioning and discovery, um, pointed me in the direction of, um, you know, Psych 101. And, and of course, that was the overview to the different types of um, psychological theories and the like. And I went, yeah, I think I found my home. But, but before I um, managed to get a, a chance to finish that, I, I got the, the travel bug and uh, went off to the UK uh, where I... Um, uh, found myself working for a, a large project uh, management firm called Prince PLC and um, through a, a set of different circumstances I found myself as kind of the last person standing it was almost like you know me being in a bit of a sitcom where the management team blew up and and they had all these clients and someone turned around and said this this girl's new so let's get her in to do some um, proper project management. And I'm like, I'm like 20, 21, 22, and then managing projects for companies like Inmarsat, the you know satellite telecommunications company and uh, Department of Environment and London Fire Brigade. Oh, it was just crazy. So, um, but uh, that, yeah, um, that was back in the migration of um, DOS to Windows 311 days. So that was, that was pretty crazy. But uh, I did return back to Sydney and, um, uh, finished my degree and started in recruitment with Anderson uh, Consulting. Um, so why was psychology and recruitment linked? Was that somewhere you wanted to go or did you have no. another psychological job in mind? No, uh, I, just, I think like every young person starting out with their degree, they just don't know what they want to do. They just want to have, you know, a bit of, um, uh, uh, you know, a bit of uh, intrigue and fun and, and connection to something that really kind of, you know, ignites them. But, um, but because, you know, because I was from a, a family that, you know, wasn't a wealthy one, it was me, you know, as I'm studying psychology, I was working two different jobs and um, paying for, you know, my rent and my, um, my, my, uh, my student fees and my books and um, all of those wonderful things that you kind of do as a uni student. But uh, no, it was, uh, it was, I remember I used to work as a bar manager um, in St. Leonard's and so I would um, quite often go and, um, open the bar at 11am and then uh, go to, to class at um, North Ryder Macquarie University and do, you know, three or four hours of lectures and tutes and then I would go home and do some um, study and then go back at 10 or 11 at night and do, that was a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 
and then would um, do till 5am the next morning and quite often find myself having to give reports to North Sydney Police Station of some brawl with both broken out in this kind of shady bar that I was managing. And, and then this, um, this one Testing day... Testing space for a psychologist. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Well, I would, you know, run all the different, you know, the pop site quizzes on the different patrons. But, but I remember doing this one um, subject, which was uh, um, physiology of the brain. And I'd been selected to go and, and dissect um, a human brain. And so I went, literally opened the bar and was, was rolling the kegs in, got sprayed with um, beer um, all over. I had to rush over to, the, um, uh, to where the, the uh, procedures were, were taking place. Um, literally dissect a human brain, try and determine the cause of death of this, this poor person who I was, you know, shopping up. Just, just reeking of formaldehyde and then back to lectures, sitting there in, I think it was like stat 301 or something and just going, I, just, I, can't, I can't quite comprehend box plots and the smell of formaldehyde and beer. I just got to get out of here. So. Um, but, you know, you do whatever it takes at all costs just to get, you know, get the job done and get things through. So. That's all right. It's a good lesson for young people listening that, yeah, uni's not all... Uh, parties and and games particularly like you know i was the same i worked as a storeman in a furniture store as uh you know to pay for all those things that need to be paid for as part of of uni so yeah uh, you got you got to work hard it's it's a it's a trudge but if you love it um it's worth it in the end it is and and to that point uh what i do see in a lot of young people i've got a now my son's 24 and my daughter's um 21 and what i um say to them is you know work hard and um it doesn't matter if you're not getting your high distinctions, as long as you've got diversity in your world, because organisations are now ju not just looking at the marks as they did some 20, 30 years ago. They're looking at what your extracurricular activities are. Can you juggle um, different competing priorities? Do you have a passion for anything outside of your course or degree and work? Is there something that you're passionate about, environment or the arts or the sciences? So That's a really good point. I, I, I talk to a lot of school kids and students and I say to them, you guys are the hardest interview there is because you've got nothing to tell me. And so, yeah, if they've gone and done some volunteer work or some work part-time or whatever it is, then yeah, they've got customer interaction or whatever it is that, that, that we need to talk about as opposed to just being a student. Yeah, that's it. And, and like you, I do um, a little bit of volunteering as well and talking to, um, to uh, youth and, and I say to them, look, if you can provide, and this is a good tip I provide um, people who are interviewing as well, um, but to, for, um, you know, grads to say, if you can provide um, a Davy, D-A-V-I response somewhere in your um, response or recruiters asking D-A-V-I, then you're going to get the richness of the human being out of that interaction. And Davy stands for diversity. So, uh, if they've got, so for a grad, have they travelled? Have they got any diversity in their background? Did they change schools a couple of times? They moved house a couple of times. Um, what extracurricular activities did they did they have during school or, or their um, uh, uni education? Um, adversity, so where have they had to overcome adversity and pull themselves back up out of the trenches and keep going? And again, that there's a number of different examples people can draw on um, through their, their personal or um, any setbacks they've had with their, their studies or um, um, extracurricular activities not being selected or, you know, whatever that might be. Um, our V, it stands for value sets. So, uh, and that's quite a challenge for uh, young yes. people who haven't done work on their value set. But 
Uh, the one bit of pointer I give to um, people who haven't done any work on their values is, you know, have a think about a time when someone asked you to do something that really grated against you and you just had a really um, a, an uneasy feeling of discomfort. Then that's probably, you know, starting to dig away at one of your core values, whether that be integrity or honesty or um, work ethic or the like. And then the last one is intellect. So, and you don't need a degree to show intellect. Um, one of the hallmarks of intellect is you know, strong conscientiousness. So, um, and diligence and attention to detail and, um, and you know, grit <laughs> um, is also another hallmark. So um, being able to, you can show a lot of yourself without having to show your career on a piece of paper. Yeah, I love it. Great advice. Okay, so you've, you've finished at the pub, you've got your degree, you're now working in, in recruitment. You were in recruitment for a long time after that, were you? Yeah, I was. I um, Well, I was with Anderson Consulting, which then became Diversity, which then got sold to Chandler McLeod. Uh, I, but I wasn't with them through that transition. So I was headhunted to start um, what we would now call a staff augmentation business from within inside a project management consultancy company. Yeah, okay. Um, I was competing quite heavily uh, with the project management consultancy and going up to their clients saying, why would you get the people from, from them when you could get them from us? An innocent mistake at the time, but realized I was cannibalizing the business. And um, as a result, the business I um, started, which I didn't have any equity in, uh, was sold to um, Hudson, TMP Hudson. Uh, from there, um, continued on with my recruitment career, was then approached to go and um, continue to build out the um, Ambition Technology Division, which was in its um, very early stage infancy when I picked that up. Grew that and then I was approached by um, the, uh, the uh, MD of Candle Group to put my hat in the ring for the role of um, CEO of, of Candle. Which was great, but that was um, that was a very big business. It was like 350 recruiters and 30 odd back office staff, and we're across Australia, New Zealand, and um, um, purchasing. Was this the first time you were had moved from an operational role into a leadership or management role? Yeah, it was, and I it was at the time I had. I actually just finished my MBA and, you know, there's a quick sidebar joke that how do you know when someone's done an MBA? Well, they tell you. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> um, I've also finished one. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but, uh, um, and I had uh, gone to the directors of Ambition and said, look, I really want to see if we can grow this business um, bigger and better and really scale it up with all of my knowledge that I'd um, under my belt from my um, studies. I think they, they didn't want that to occur um, at that time for the technology division. They were very much focused on the, the accounting division, which is fine, which is what the, the founders' backgrounds were. Uh, and it was literally at that same time that um, Candle being a, you know, well, there was 3,000 odd contractors um, at, at our peak. Um, I thought, yeah, that's actually really where I want to um, take the plunge and um, run a large business. So, and that's really where I, I became a, um, a business person in recruitment rather than a recruiter in business making that transition. So you mentioned really early on in the podcast that you weren't the greatest leader of IT people being CEO of this business. How, how did that, how did that go? If you, if you had that feeling internally, how did you lead? Yeah, it was a hard slog. Uh, but I think, um, uh, I had a lot of support structure around me and I, um, I relied on a lot of um, frameworks from 
uh, from my uh, MBA. And it was really, when I came into the business, uh, the business was very much, it was a bit fat and happy. And I'd just come, so it was a bit of an ocean liner just chugging along. And I'd come from a smaller organisation. We were the speedboat. And so I think it was that transition from being that speedboat and having that, um, that sense of urgency and pace that I've always had in my career to come into a very large lethargic organisation and go, right, we've just got to hit this hard. Let's go. Let's run. Why are we sitting and waiting? Let's go and get. And um, really shaking the tree up a little bit and, um, you know, at the time, one of my favourite sayings was, you know, sacred cows make the best hamburgers. And so went to some of the people that a lot of the senior leadership had a bit of fear over around moving or displacing them because they were holding on to very large accounts and just sitting on there with some golden handcuffs, which I had no problem in saying, look, you're either coming along the journey with where we're going on the strategy that we've embarked on or you're not. And even though you're a million dollar biller, I'm sure my competitors would be delighted to have you working with them, but you're going to have to build up from, from scratch because you won't be allowed yeah. to take any of uh, IP with you. And so some chose not to come on that journey, but you know, at the time I think we had 12 people who would be billing over a million bucks and we turned that into, you know, 18 or so because there was, there was room then for other people to come up the ranks and flourish. So, so I think because I didn't have um, any, uh, any links or ties to the personalities of the business, but I was able to kind of drive through some change to get that business to a, a very, very peak performing organisation. So tell me, do you miss that organisation versus the startup mode you've been in for the last few years? How does it compare? It's, it's different. Mm. It's different. Uh, I, I think the difference is it's in the biorhythm. I think people who are, are career enterprise managers are very good at complex problem solving, reacting and, and removing roadblocks and making sure that the appropriate level of politics being played to keep momentum. Yep. Whereas down in startup land, nothing gets done unless you're proactive. You, yep. you have to do it. You, you look around and you go, um, okay, I don't have a pen. I've got to go to office works and get the paper and make my own bloody cups of tea and the like. So, um, but I think what I I'm enjoying about the journey I've been on the last, um, well, six to 10 years is that the freedom of not having to second guess myself often with um, uh, the, just the ability to back myself, really trust my gut and my experience with, you know, really sound counsel from mentors and obviously my colleagues, but not having to waste just insurmountable amount of time having to argue a point or a case to get it through, to get approval, to then road test it, to then, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's just, you know, in, move, pivot, change, go kind of thing. So. Tell me about the psychology of Jane, CEO, I'm an important person. There's lots of people underneath me. Uh, I'm in big meetings to Jane, startup Jane. Now you, I kind of always... I use the analogy that I remember when I started my business, so it was similar, not the size was so much different, but I was working for a large global manufacturing business in a HR role. And I remember starting my own business and sitting in my office going, I'm now nobody. I used to be really, really important. And now I ring a customer, it might take them two days to get back to me because I'm not important. I'm, I'm their supplier now. How have you struggled with that sort of? Yeah, 
it was a really interesting transition because I think uh, it was a transition from voluntarily giving up my identity, being associated yeah, with a very large word. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden, um, when I had um, resigned from Candle, which I, and I did so because it was just taking its toll on my health, on my family, um, you know, I'd be waking up in a different state every second day and just really, it was, it was a brutal force, but, but at the same time we achieved an enormous amount because we were just running at absolute fierce pace. So the difference though, coming down into a startup is um, you don't have 168 emails coming at you a million miles an hour every hour. Uh, you don't have a line of people outside your front door knocking and all asking for decisions in rapid fire mode. Uh, you hear crickets <laughs> and the phone's not ringing. And so you have to really right. dig, absolutely dig within um, very deep to, to make it happen. And so I think the biggest learning I reflect on was um, in a large corporate organisation, you know, I had access to um, uh, the P&Ls of all of the different business units that I had um, across. And of course, um, that's as far as um, I, I kind of went, or maybe even I think if I really look back and reflect, cho even chose to go to. So, and then then you start up a business and you're right, okay. So the bank account and the PL they're two different things, right? Okay. So I now know I can make a loss in the company each month with cash reserves. But if I don't have a dollar, I close the door tomorrow. Cash is king. Cash is king. So I learned that lesson very early on. Um, and, uh, you know, when I had started my recruitment company, had um, just ch chosen to do both permanent and contract recruitment and uh, waking up one morning going, oh, my God, I have to find somewhere in the order of three to $480,000 to pay my contractors tomorrow. What the hell is going on? Well, when breathe, breathe, breathe. Okay, great. Who can I call on? I uh, managed to get some debtor financing in place um, with, you know, using my contacts and uh, yeah, paid the contractors. And, you know, ever since that day, never missed a, a payment. Um, but uh, yeah, I learned a lot about cash in the very early days. <laughs> yeah, it is so important. I've seen other businesses come and go because of that. Yeah. It's, you just, if you don't understand that, then that's lesson one. Yeah, oh, exactly. Business. And not using your, your GST money to, you know, yep. or, 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 you know, don't ever get behind on your superannuation payments. You know, don't just don't piss off people's. Yeah, that's right. Um, it comes back to yeah. that ethical standards, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah sure. Okay, does. so we have a time machine on our podcast. Okay. Um, so we rewind the clock to 20 year old Jane. And if you could go back and give her any piece of career advice, what advice would you give now that you've lived this life? Craig, that is a question that you've sprung on me, and I have <laughs> no prepared answers. So I think straight off the bat, um, uh, my answer would be don't sweat the small stuff. Don't get so stressed or worried about the little things that are coming up and annoying you each day. Um, try and dial down your perfection and play the long game. Love it. It's a great answer. Yeah, that would be it. That would be my advice. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We really appreciate you giving up your time and, and good luck with, uh, with Alchemy. I hope it's a really big success and grows into the future. 
<laughs> Thanks, Craig. I appreciate the time and support. Excellent.